The Old Testament reading is Psalm 2, Psalm 2, and this is the word of the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And now turn with me to Romans chapter 1. This is our sermon text this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. According to New Testament scholars, the Apostle Paul wrote his epistle to the Romans somewhere around 57 AD. Uh, He was on his third missionary journey, and probably he wrote it during the three months that he uh, stayed in Corinth. And I think we can all be thankful that in the providence of God, Romans was written in the year 57 A.D. and not in the year uh, 2023 A.D. Because if the apostle had lived in our day, no doubt he would have, like all of us, communicated in the ways that we communicate uh, with one another by email, by text, by Twitter, and all of that. Uh, For some reason, I don't think the apostle would have had an Instagram account, but uh, that's just my opinion. And instead of a lengthy and weighty and profound piece of writing, we might have instead uh, a series of texts or emails, maybe even a Twitter thread. But praise God, he has given us Romans in the form of a letter, because only a letter like this could do justice uh, to all that the apostle wanted to communicate concerning the depths and the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, The title of 
the sermon today is the greatest letter ever written. And I believe that Romans is the greatest letter ever written. Now, of course, all of Scripture is God-breathed. It is given by God for us, for our growth in grace, for our edification. And so all of Scripture is worthy of our study, our meditation, and so on. But the church has always recognized that even among the books of sacred, sacred Scripture, uh, Romans occupies a very special place. Uh, listen to the words of Martin Luther. He said, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. John Calvin said this about Romans. If we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. And more recently, J.I. Packer said this about Romans. He said, all roads in the Bible lead to Romans, and all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. And when the message of Romans gets into a person's heart, there is no telling what may happen. And today we will begin a study of Paul's letter to the Romans. And I pray that, as J.I. Packer said in his quotes, I pray that the message of Romans, as we continue on in this study in the months ahead, will get more and more into our hearts. And we will see what the Holy Spirit will do with it as a result. I don't know how much time we'll spend in Romans, but my plan is to preach through the entire letter. But I will make you this one promise. We won't spend as much time in Romans as uh, the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones spent in Romans. Apparently, when he preached through Romans, it took him 13 years to get through uh, the whole letter. So I promise uh, we won't take as long as the good doctor took uh, to make it through Romans. But uh, we do, I do plan for us to go through the whole letter. And this morning, we will begin at the beginning. Uh, that is, we'll consider the greetings that the Apostle Paul um, used when he introduced uh, himself in this letter that he uh, sent to the Romans. Usually when we read uh, our Bibles and we're reading a New Testament letter, oftentimes we kind of skim over the introduction or the greetings because it doesn't seem all that important to us. But... It is very worthwhile for us this morning to take a closer look at these first seven verses that the Apostle Paul wrote as his greetings to the Romans, the Christians in Rome, in this letter. And that's because in this introduction to his letter, the Apostle Paul gives us keys to understanding the rest of Romans. He gives us three keys, and the first key is this, that the ultimate author of the letter to the Romans is God himself. Uh, the second key is this, the subject of the letter to the Romans is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And third, the third key, the concern of the letter to the Romans is our growth in grace. And so first of all, the first key, the author of the letter to the Romans is God. Now obviously, the human author, the one who actually put pen to paper to write uh, this letter was the Apostle Paul. And he tells us that right at the very beginning. He says in verse 1, Paul, 
a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, just as an aside, just as a parenthesis, notice how the apostle begins to describe himself. He introduces himself as Paul, and then the first thing he says is that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, This is the most basic, most fundamental truth about the apostle. Yes, he was a preacher. Yes, he was a missionary. Yes, he was an apostle. But before all that, most fundamentally, he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just a servant, but the word indicates a bondservant, a slave. Paul was a slave of Christ. And that's true for you and me as well. Before anything else, before we are anything else, a mother, an employee, a student, most of all, what we are is a servant of Christ. No matter what position or station you hold in life as a believer in Christ, you are first and foremost his slave, his bondservant. And Christian humility, the kind of humility that we are to grow in in possessing really begins with acknowledging this truth about ourselves, that we are servants. We are servants of Christ. And no matter how high a position, no matter how lowly a position we may occupy in this life, no matter how much good we may think that we have done in this life, at the end of the day, we can only say what the servants in the parable that Jesus taught in Luke said. They said, we are unworthy servants, We have only done what was our duty. And so Paul was first and foremost a servant of Christ. But he was also more. He was an apostle of Christ. He says in verse 1, called to be an apostle. And one thing that that means is that as an apostle, he was commissioned by Christ to declare the truth of Christ, to declare the teaching of Christ both to the church and to the world. And so, for that reason then, as an apostle, the teaching of Paul, the writings of Paul, what he said as an apostle, carries with it the same authority and truthfulness as though the words were spoken by Christ himself. In other words, the words that the apostle Paul wrote to the Romans are not just the words of Paul, but they are the words of Christ. And so they are authoritative. And therefore, we can say that this letter that Paul wrote was actually written or authored ultimately by God himself. We have here the very words of God. Now, you may be wondering at this point, why am I bringing this uh, point up? Why am I stating what for most of us, I think, all of us perhaps, is an obvious point, And that is that Romans is the word of God. Well, the reason I'm making this point is because there is much teaching in Romans, as we'll see, and as you know, that is very difficult, uh, difficult to understand, but a lot of teaching that is frankly difficult to accept. And we have to approach this teaching with the deep and the settled conviction that the words that are written in this letter are not merely the words penned by a man who lived 2,000 years ago but that these are the living and active words of God, the true words of God. For example, there is teaching in Romans chapter 1, as we'll go on, we'll see. There is teaching about sexuality that is so absolutely contrary to the ideas and to the values of the world in which we live 
that if we embrace the teaching of Romans about this subject, which we must do, we are not only swimming against the cultural tide, but we are, in fact, opening ourselves up, perhaps one day, to the very real possibility of persecution. And the question is, are you willing to suffer for the sake of what Romans teaches concerning human sexuality? What is right, what is wrong, what God approves, what he condemns? Are you willing to suffer for that? You will only be willing to suffer for that if you are convinced, if you are persuaded in the heart that these are the very words of God, that this is God speaking through his word. And there are other hard teachings in Romans. Chapter 3 tells us that we are thoroughly, spiritually and morally corrupt. 3.12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh, Chapter 9 tells us that God is absolutely sovereign. He is sovereign in determining who will be saved and who will not be saved. Chapter 9, verse 18, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. These are difficult truths and we will only be able to accept them if we receive them and embrace them as truths that are spoken to us in this letter by the mouth of God. Another difficult truth would be Romans chapter 13. Uh, We are told there that we are to be subject to the governing authorities. And this is a difficult one for us. We are also told that part of that submission to the governing authorities is to pay our taxes. And this isn't just pious advice uh, from the Apostle Paul that we can shrug off when it becomes inconvenient or difficult to do so. But this is the very word of God that we are bound to obey. And so as we go on in Romans to hear all that the Apostle Paul has to teach us, we have to receive it for what it is that these are the words of God, words that we must believe, embrace, and conform our lives to. And so as we go through Romans, we will encounter passages that are difficult, but the overall message of Romans is one of hope, of promise, of grace. Above all else, what Romans is all about is the gospel of Jesus Christ, what God has done for our salvation through his son, Jesus. And that is the second key to understanding uh, Romans that Paul gives us in these opening verses, and that is that the subject of the letter to the Romans is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was not only a servant of Christ, He was not only an apostle of Christ, but he says in verse 1 that he was set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the gospel, as you know, this word means good news. And the good news for which Paul was set apart is this, is that God has brought eternal life. He has brought the forgiveness of sins to sinners such as you and me through the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of his son, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that Romans is all about. This is the subject of this letter. And Paul says in verse 2 that this gospel is not something entirely new or unheard of, but he says it was promised beforehand in the prophets of, of the Scriptures, that is, the Old Testament. And then Paul summarizes this gospel in this way in verses 3 and 4. He says, the gospel is concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, It was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Now, first of all, the first thing we need to see here is that the gospel is concerning his son. The gospel is all about the son of God, Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done for us. The gospel for which Paul was set apart, the gospel which is the subject of his letter to the Romans, is not a set of rules that God has given us to keep so that if we keep them, we can be saved or we can be in the good graces of God. That is not the gospel. The gospel is neither God giving us assistance or help so that we may live righteous lives, so that we may be admitted into heaven when we die. That is not the gospel. But the gospel is the good news that the Son of God, apart from us, apart from our work, our contribution, but that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he has accomplished for us a perfect, a complete salvation to which we add nothing and which becomes ours only by faith, by trusting ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news of what God has done for our salvation. And in the summary of the gospel in verses 3 and 4, the apostle traces uh, the major steps in the history, if we can call it that, and we can call it that, the history of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, he says in verse 3 that Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. And so in his incarnation, the Son of God, who was eternally existing as the Son of God, as very God, the Son of God who was eternally begotten of the Father, that this second person of the Trinity... God's son, that he became man. And as man, he was of the lineage of David. So he was the offspring of David. And of course, this was in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The prophets said that the Messiah, the Christ, when he came, when he came, he would be of the line of David. He would be descended from David. And so that is the first step of the gospel that Paul summarizes in verse 3 and 4. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, that Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now, the word that's translated declared there uh, is better translated as appointed, appointed. And what this means is this. Although Jesus, as the eternally existing Son of God, although he was always God's Son, it was in his resurrection from the dead his resurrection from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, at that time, Jesus was officially appointed or established by God as his son to rule over all things as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the God-man. And it is this appointment of Christ, uh, what the ESV says is being declared to be the Son of God in power. It is in his resurrection from the dead and this appointing of Christ to be the God-man who rules over all things. It is this what Psalm 2 speaks of. We read earlier, uh, we heard earlier from Psalm 2, verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Uh, the son was begotten of the father from eternity, but in the sense in which he was appointed to be the son of God in power, for in his resurrection from the dead, he was begotten on that day of the father. And so the gospel is about the son of God becoming man for our salvation. 
And then being exalted to the right hand of God the Father and reigning as Lord, as the God-man over all things. Uh, This is the gospel that Paul says in verse 16 in chapter 1. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Later in chapter 10, Paul says this about this gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the first thing then to ask yourself as we begin here with the letter of Romans is, have I entrusted myself to Christ? Do I believe with my heart that God raised him from the dead? Have I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord? This is what God has done for you and me to save us from our sins, to save us from eternal destruction. Have you responded in faith? Do you belong to Christ by faith? Now, one reason why it's important to keep this overall message of Romans in mind is because, and this is just one reason, as you know, there are many uh, passages that are difficult to understand in Romans. Uh, They are subject to various interpretations. Not everybody agrees on how to understand this or that passage. But if we keep our perspective in the right place, if we keep our focus on the right place, that the letter is about God's grace to us in Christ. It is about what Jesus has done for us for our salvation. When we get to those tricky, difficult passages, we won't lose our way. We won't get lost in the weeds, uh, but we'll uh, find our way through, keeping in mind this overall message of Romans. But it's also important to keep this Subject or this theme of Romans in mind for this reason. Because remembering that this entire letter, that the main subject is the gospel, remembering this gives us a healthy desire and interest to see this same gospel extended to those who are perishing, who are lost apart from Christ. We want to be as gospel-oriented as the Apostle Paul was. And one thing that's easy to lose sight of when we begin to dig into Romans is that essentially what Romans is, is a missionary letter. Um, It was written by Paul, who was a missionary. Uh, He was on his third missionary journey when he wrote to the Romans. Uh, His desire was to visit Rome, uh, to encourage them, to be encouraged by them, but also so that the church in Rome could be of beings of support for him as he went on from there to journey to Spain. Uh, We don't know that Paul ever made it to Spain. I don't believe that he did. I'm not sure, but uh, that was his goal, was to, uh, to visit Rome so that they would help him in his further missionary endeavors. And not only that, but Paul says here in verse five that he received, in verse five he says, He refers to himself as we, but he's referring to himself individually. He says, we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And so Paul's very calling as an apostle was to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to the nations, to those who had not heard of Christ. In fact, later he says in Romans that it is his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. And so Paul was all about taking the gospel to the lost that they might believe and 
faith, as they hear the preaching of Christ, that they might come to faith in Christ for salvation. And that's what Romans is about. That message that Paul proclaimed. Now, of course, Paul was very concerned about building up the faith of the believers in Rome. Everything that he writes in Romans was all of his instruction, all of his teaching, all of his doctrine. This was meant to, to build up the saints in Rome, those who had already come to faith in Christ, to build them up in their knowledge of Christ and their love for Christ and their understanding of the gospel. But that was not Paul's sole concern. His sole concern was not the sanctification of those who had already come to Christ, but he was also very much concerned with the salvation of the lost. And that should be our orientation as well as we dig into this letter to Romans. We should seek to be built up. We should ask God for grace to build us up in the knowledge of Christ. But we should also desire the same heart that Paul had to grow in our longing to see the knowledge of Christ extended into the world that many, many people who are now lost apart from Christ, who are perishing apart from Christ, that they too would come to believe in the Savior that we have come to believe in for their salvation, for their redemption from sin and death. Paul says that his ministry is to bring the Gentiles to the obedience of faith. What that means is the obedience that flows from faith, the obedience that is the fruit of faith. And so that should be our desire as well. That will become our desire the more we keep our focus on what Romans is all about, the big picture. It's about God's grace to sinners in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And there's a sense in which even the gospel was not, or for Paul, that even uh, the gospel was not even most ultimately about the salvation of sinners. Of course, Paul desired that. He longed for that. But there was something even greater that drove him, that motivated him uh, to preach Christ, that people might be saved. And that greater motive was the glory of Christ. Notice how he says in verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Why did he labor to preach Christ, to bring about the obedience of faith? It was for the sake of the name of Christ. In other words, so that the name of Jesus would be magnified and glorified as he was believed upon, as he was uh, loved and worshipped by those who came to know him. And this also should be our greatest interest in the proclamation of the gospel. Not just our own salvation, not just the salvation of others, but the magnifying of Christ as he is believed upon in the world. Uh, John Stott said this, He said, the highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. And as we immerse ourselves in Paul's letter to the Romans, my prayer is that our hearts would begin to burn more intensely with this zeal, zeal for the glory of Christ, particularly as as he is glorified in 
his people and his elect coming to faith in Christ in response to the preaching of the gospel. The third key that Paul gives us for understanding Romans is this. The concern of the letter to the Romans is, is our growth in grace. So, so the subject of the letter, the theme of the letter of Romans is the gospel. But we need to hear that gospel, don't we? It's not as though we hear it once, we believe it, and then we go on from there to graduate to higher things or better things. But as believers, our whole life long, we must be continually enriched and strengthened by the truths that are bound up with the gospel, by the truths that stem from the gospel. We constantly need to be brought back to this, to this truth. And so we need to be instructed in the truths that come along with the gospel. And that's what Romans does for us. Uh, because this is the word of God, because God is our inexhaustible source of life and peace and joy, everything that is written here is written for our good, for our growth in grace, for our growth in knowing God as our Father and Christ as our Savior. Uh, Paul says this in verse 7. This is part of his greeting. He says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If your faith is in Christ, this describes you as well. You are loved by God as a Christian. You are called to be a saint. Uh, it is God's will that the, the grace and the peace that flow from Him as your Father and Christ as your Savior, that that be yours in abundance more and more. Well, how do you come to know the love of God increasingly? How do you more and more begin uh, to reflect the holiness of God uh, to which he calls us uh, as, as those whom he calls to be his saints? How do you more and more rest in and rejoice in the grace and peace that is yours in Christ? Well, it is by hearing these truths again from the scripture, and particularly as we're studying Romans from the book of Romans. By storing these things up in your hearts, by absorbing them into your thoughts. Later in Romans, Paul, uh, he gives this very beautiful benediction that he, he in a sense, he lays upon his hearers, the, the, the Christians in Rome, this blessing that he wants for them. And there's a sense in which everything that he writes in Romans up to that benediction, up to that blessing is meant to be so that that will be true for the people of God in Rome. This is what he says, Romans 15 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And as we embark on our study of Romans, as we hear uh, again the riches of our salvation in Christ, as we hear of uh, the character of God our Father who has saved us in His Son, as we hear the wonderful grace of Christ, uh, my prayer for you, for me, is that the words of this blessing, this benediction, will become more and more true for each one of us, that God will fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. Let's pray.